Welcome to The Recap, part of Pastoring Out Loud, where we recap the previous week's sermon. We're recapping Genesis 38 recap, or recapping entire communities after podcasts. Doesn't make any sense. Nope. (laughs) No sense at all. Um, Genesis 38, I preached. Daniel, how did you do preaching? Thanks for asking, Daniel. I I think... um, I think I did okay. Um, got a lot of affirmation afterwards. Uh, it was really good. Good. I thought so too. Um, so as part of Genesis 38, some of what you did was point out, uh, well, could you just recap the, the text for us, you know, using the four points? Yeah, I, I can. Uh, first, we saw... This is um, super entertaining. Of, that's good. This is... Uh, we saw first uh, Judah's... Um, um, oh, I can't remember. Does anybody else remember the outline? What was the outline for the sermon? You can find it on Church Center. Let me pull up my app. (laughs) Pull up your app. I thought it was a great sermon. I don't remember (laughs) what your I don't remember what your four (laughs) points of your outline were right now by heart. We we talked about Judah's character, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ruled by uh, passion and fear. We talked about. Judah's contrast, uh, risky and righteous, at least situationally righteous, Tamar. We talked about Judah's choice. Is he going to react in anger or repent? And then we talked about Judah's child, uh, or really children, you know, two children, but focusing in on Perez because he's in line of Christ. He's a preview of redemption. And I started with uh, just asking the question, how do you really change? And then I think the answer from the text and all of scripture is by grace. So you get what you don't deserve and that's how you change. So that's a recap. Anybody have any questions that or was observations? Kind of, that was kind of your prayer voice a little bit. Kind of, okay. That you went yeah. into there at the end. All right. They asked me right before the uh, recap to have a conversation with myself, one in my prayer voice, one in my stage voice. So this is my hybrid of the two, I suppose. <laughs> So apparently, I have a stage voice and a prayer voice. All Does right. Have anything I want to say? <laughs> like, I, I thought uh, the connection with where the line is going and the call uh, to repentance was really helpful. And and so the way you connected both what I would call like biblical theology as far as Judah's importance in the story, but also with kind of like not neglecting what's happening in the text as far as practical theology of repentance. Yeah. I thought the way you wove those together uh, were really, really helpful. Um, I have a question for you from your sermon. The risky righteousness of Tamar. Mm-hmm. You said comparative righteousness in your sermon. So this I is... Did. She's more, she's more righteous than I. That's what Judah said. That's what Judah said. So do you think that we can, so, so how do we, how should we think about comparative righteousness? Yeah. Is that like being less, is that like when my, you know, one of my kids says I, they were less wrong than their brother or sister. Should I say yes? Should I reward them for that? You know what I mean? I I just thought that was an interesting thing to think about. What does comparative righteousness mean? Yeah, so I think in this case, in all of the less than ideal situation that's going on here, uh, 
I'm going to be remembered by getting pregnant with my father-in-law's child Mm -hmm. so that the line of my dead husband can continue does sound like a daytime soap opera. Right. And thus, like other things we've seen in Genesis, although God is using in his sovereignty all these different things to accomplish his ends, I don't think we can look at the sexual immorality or the seduction on play as like, like ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's within a situation where um, she is doing what she needs to given what's happened to her and how she's been wronged. But it's already in a less than ideal thing. It's, you know, Jacob deceived his dad mm-hmm. and God utilized that for his purposes. Um, Abraham, you know, gave his wife to Pharaoh's house and God used that for his purposes. Um, you know, Noah got drunk and one of his sons was cursed and the other two blessed. God used that for his purposes. I see this in the same vein. Sure. Uh, fully acknowledging that Tamar is not condemned by the text like those other things either explicitly or implicitly are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just say again, this is just a less than ideal situation. Comparative righteousness, oh yeah. I think that's an okay category to say somebody could be more or less righteous in a situation. So then what did... Uh, what did Judah mean when he said she is more righteous than I? Yeah, uh, she has gone about making sure that this thing that ought have happened according to whatever standard of morality they had, whether mm-hmm. they had some kind of proto-Deuteronomic you know, law or something like that mm-hmm. um, given to them by God or not. She went about doing what should have happened. And Judah, I didn't go here, but I think Judah has some discernment maybe even in that moment that uh, his kids were killed because they failed to do what God wanted them to do. And she went about doing whatever she could to make mm-hmm. sure that God's mm-hmm. will was done. Mm-hmm. Whether she did it as a Yahweh worshiper or as a Canaanite, we don't have a lot of clue in the text about that, but mm-hmm. she she pursued riskily doing what was right, kind of against Judah's fears mm-hmm. and against his anger, which was... Uh, both unrighteous. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, I mean, there are some, the reason I asked is because there are some commentators who would say, uh, you know, she was totally in the wrong and Judah is, you know, expressing himself in kind of a dramatic way. And then there are other commentators that would go so far as to say Tamar did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. She did exactly what she was supposed to do Mm -hmm. in light of Judah's unwillingness to give his sons. Um, and that the deceit is more like the deceit of, like this one commentator I read on it, the deceit is more like the deceit of the um, Egyptian midwives mm-hmm. than it is the deceit of, you know, some of the other examples you've given, Jacob's deceit for his own personal gain. Yeah, yeah the Egyptian midwives in Exodus 1, or the, the Jewish midwives, are explicitly said to be rewarded by God. Right. Right. So just in light of there not being a clear thing other than what Judah has said, which is a comparative thing, um, which I think is uh, the editor, you know, Moses telling us like what he thinks about the situation too. Right. Um, I also think that in light of what, you know, the exact same phrase 
please inspect these and tell me who they are uh, in light of what was said by Judah probably to jo- to Jacob in mm-hmm. chapter 37, mm-hmm. that this is meant to be a pretty deep cut where we realize like God's figuring out his purposes. God's doing kind of, kind of similar to like when uh, Jacob, um, uh, what does the text say when, uh, you know, Jacob realizes or not, not Jacob, when Isaac realizes that he's kind of ignored what was prophesied at the beginning mm-hmm of Jacob and Esau's life. And I can't remember what it says in chapter 32 or 33, but you know, like he was shocked, Mm -hmm. you know, out of his complacency, kind of recalling that from before. I think that's what's happening with Judah here. Yeah. Helpful. Anything else? Hmm. What did you think of the sermon, Stacey? Well, now you're having me think about this point more. Oh, okay. And I don't want to belabor this point of it, but what about Leviticus twenty? You know, if a Liberate man lies, marriage. if a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of oh, them right, shall right. surely be put yep. to death. They have committed perversion. Mm-hmm. So, um, in a sense, are mm-hmm. some sins worse than others? Yes, I mean, hmm. some sins are worse than others. Hmm. Some sins do more damage to social order. Right. Some, I mean, even Paul I, says, you know, sexual immorality, you know, all other sins are outside the body, but sexual immorality, you know, joining yourself to a prostitute in First Corinthians 9 or 10, like one sins mm-hmm. against their own body. Right. So they're, yeah, some sins are worse than others, even mm-hmm. though all sins will condemn you before God. Right. I mean, you know, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than for you, Jerusalem. That sounds like some sins are more tolerable than others, even in yep. the judgment. So, I agree. I was just yeah. wanting you to elaborate on that. There you go. Thanks. One, uh, one point along with what Stacy said too, if you read commentators on this particular thing, is that in the, um, in the line of promise is built in these moments of mercy, mm-hmm. built in these moments that uh, otherwise, you know, otherwise there should be condemnation. There should be... Mm-hmm. There should be death, and yet even built into the line of promise, pointing forward to what the promise brings is mercy even along the way. So that's another yeah, another cool aspect, I think, of this story. I think this story, too, it was helpful how you pointed to the redemptive aspect of it with Judah, and it reminded me of Psalm 130. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. Mm-hmm. He can redeem all of these things. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really hopeful. Yes, he can. And I'm eager for the rest of Genesis to continue to play this out. I think I get to preach chapter 44 or 45. I think it's 45 uh, when um, Jacob comes down to Egypt and then 49 with the, the blessings there. Um, I think one thing that I could have done so, I mean, just two things. One would be the ethical reality that um, the prior to the birth of either of the twins, it's really clear that the text is treating them like they're image-bearing humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And similarly, when, yeah. you know, Judah uh, sleeps with Tamar, it says she conceived and then she got up and left. Like the text is signaling that 
um, conception happening. Like, like pro-life people say all the time, we agree with this. I'm pro-life. Like life begins at conception and Genesis 38 definitely points towards that. And the other thing I'd say is just, um, stay tuned for Genesis 49. I read that at the end, just the blessing to Judah. There is a lot there, like a lot of pretty interesting stuff about the blessing given to Judah, the kind of prince that will come from him together with the prophecy of um, Balaam in Numbers uh, that points actually a lot to the new heavens and new earth in some pretty cool ways. So I'm eager to preach that come July, God willing. Anything else anyone else has? No, Daniel, we don't have anything else. Okay, great. Thanks for joining me today.